Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. All right, let's do this. Let's go uh, over to Philippians chapter 1. And uh, we've covered a lot of history on Philippians. Um, and so if you want to know, you know more details about it, you can always uh, go back to the previous messages that are on the website and uh, listen to those. They're in video form or in audio, either one. Uh, they're available there. Um, and go ahead and uh, listen to those to catch up. But I want to start in verse 12, which is where I actually left off roughly last week. And we're going to start there, um, talking about um, the book of Philippians and what Paul is writing to the Philippians. And so um, I've been praying for these teachings because um, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's always a preaching side to, to ministry and then there's a teaching side. And uh, whether you realize it or not, actually teaching is referenced in the scriptures twice as much as preaching is. I've actually done the numbers, and teaching is, is done twice as much. Teaching is a wonderful thing if you can, uh, if you're, you're, you can sit and bear it. <laughs> so fortunately, we got five inches of foam on the seats. How many remember the old pews? Yeah, so you can only bear so much. Um, <laughs> but I've got at least five hours five inches of foam, you know, you could get one, one hour per inch of foam on the seats. No, um, uh, it's, it, teaching is one of those things that, when, like when I was first saved, I really struggled with teaching because I was so emotional about my relationship with the Lord that I hard, had a hard time sitting and just listening. But the longer that I've walked with the Lord and the longer that I've been a believer, it's become easier and easier for me to just listen to teaching or just read steady as I go and learn because I figured something out and I figured this out through my relationship with the Lord and working construction. If you want a good foundation, you don't just do it randomly, emotionally, and uh, as fast as you possibly can. Now, they've worked the science of these foundations down to a degree to where they can get them done pretty quick because they've figured out some chemical things that help. But even in designing things, and God's the exact same way, you don't want to see how fast you can do it. You want to steadily grow. Okay? And so in a culture, and we are currently in a culture in the church that is very sensory-oriented, it's very emotion-oriented, and this has always been, it's just that our culture, with the technology that we do have, can overly feed that, okay? So if, you're, if you watch a lot of, uh, or if you, if you get most of your information via like a, a Facebook feed or a uh, Instagram or Twitter or something like that, you actually train yourself to think shorter. Did you know that? I'm not saying you can't do it, I'm just, or look at those things, I'm just saying you want to be aware of the fact that you're actually conditioning yourself to skip to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, without fully reading the first thing. You know, have you ever done that? Have you ever read a headline on something, but not read the article? But you actually read the article, and it's like, you totally lied to me in the headline. Am I the only one? <laughs> I mean, that happens constantly, you know, and, and there's deeper things here. You know, nothing's changed. We're, we still are in the, 
in the world where light and darkness are giving information. And you have to dig. You have to sift. You have to find the correct answers. Um, and people say, well, I wish it wasn't that way. <laughs> Wishing. That'll get you nowhere. <laughs> you need to realize at some point it is that way. I'm going to have to discipline myself. And you dig. And so even in the Word, even reading the Scriptures, if you can just discipline yourself to slowly read them, even if it's one chapter a day, but pay attention to the language, pay attention to the words that are being used, it'll begin to transform the way you think. And you'll start to realize by the Holy Spirit, who's the best teacher ever, um, you'll begin to realize and understand things about who you are in Christ that you never knew before. I've, I've discovered this in my own life. I have gone into lines where people prayed for people to be freed of fears or, or different things like that. And how many have ever gone away from a healing line disappointed or a prayer line disappointed? I'm the only one. Okay, there's a few honest people here. Um, I've walked away from them disappointed. And I get, but I never, now I didn't give up on God and I didn't blame him for not doing something that I thought he should have. I went back to the word and go, okay, Lord, teach me, show me. And honestly, some of the greatest freedoms that I'm experiencing today, and I'm still growing in these areas, just have come through just consistent disciplines with the Lord. Not legalism, disciplines. You say, what are you disciplining? Well, my spirit wants to be with God and is technically connected to God 24-7. I have to discipline my flesh to shut up so I can listen to my spirit and fellowship with the Lord. My disciplines are not legalities because I understand that I'm under a covenant of grace. But I do have to discipline my flesh. My flesh is so smart. This is about to be sarcasm. <laughs> Just to forewarn you. <laughs> People say sarcasm is unbiblical. No, nope. read the Old Testament prophets. You'll find it everywhere. All right. <laughs> Have you think about Elijah on Mount Carmel? Have you ever read that in the message? Maybe your God went to the bathroom. <laughs> now, you know, that's how you win a debate, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, so I got off. All right. My flesh is so smart, it'll go... One piece of pie was good. Let's eat the whole pie. That's how smart you, your and my flesh is. How I many you know that's dumb? Yeah. You really find out it's dumb if you do it. <laughs> I don't know if I hit a nerve on something for somebody. But anyway, so the word is about, and, and, and going to the word, it is a discipline. Even Wednesday night Bible study is a discipline because you don't feel like doing it, but you do it anyway, and the strongest believers I know do what they know they should do in spite of how they feel. Those that have proven themselves for years and know the Lord and are steady are the ones that discipline their flesh to do what it's supposed to do. Okay? And that's just, that's just a, that is just a biblical truth. How many know... And then in the early days of the church, it's not any different than it is today in the sense of the early believers had to discipline themselves to meet. But they did so daily. And there are some people that struggle to get to just a couple services in a month. 
And I, just an experience, I'm just telling you, for, I'm not talking about legitimate reasons that you're out, okay? I'm talking about, you're just, it's just laziness. I, over the, this is not part of the message, by the way. It's just part of the message. Um, this is not in Philippians 1.12. But, but part of the reason why, um, and, and, and this, I can tell you this as a pastor, and who's been a youth pastor and a lead pastor, all the years that I've pastored, the people uh, that are that f- that are that are up and down in their relationship with the Lord are the most undisciplined. Hands down. They're they're the most undisciplined. They're they're those that don't have a handle on their world and their life in controlling how things take place. And I'm not talking about things you can't control. I'm talking about things you can control. Things that are within your power to control. How many know that you can turn off the TV at nine? Have you ever done it and your flesh is like, no, don't do it. I want to see what's going to happen next. Nothing, nothing's going to happen next. It's all nonsense. All right, anyway, tangent. All right, so I guess my point in that is this, is that teaching is so good because we can... We come into the word, we begin to understand details about it, like the background of the book. Why was the book written? Where was the book written from? Who is it written to? Why is it written in the language that it's written in? Why did Paul use the words that he used? I mean, we found out that the the church at Philippi and Philippians was a military retirement town. That's what it was in Macedonia. And so Paul used terms that were actually military terms. Why? Because the Roman, the ex-former Roman soldiers that were there understood military terms. And so the Holy Spirit had Paul teach them via what? The language that they understood. How many know that God speaks Chinese to Chinese Christians? (laughs) People are like, God knows Chinese? (laughs) Well, he isn't. How many... You realize this, God is not the God of Americans only. Yeah, but we have in God we trust. Yeah, but God knows more than English. He knows angel languages. He knows human languages. He knows all of them. And so God teaches people where they're at. So when you hear from the Holy Spirit, he says things in just the right way that you'll understand it. That's how, he, that's how he, he speaks. He doesn't confuse you with his massive intellect. Come on, think about the people Jesus picked for his disciples. The, the, the religious leaders of the day knew they were ignorant and unlearned men. How would you like to be called that? And yet God said, I'll take them. They're fishermen. Yeah, but they know how to work. And they'll listen to me. He would have anywhere from, you know, Paul, who is super educated, to Peter, who, you know, slap you, cuss you, pray for you. Aim for your head and cut your ear off. That's who Peter was. You say, cuss you? (laughs) Look it up. (laughs) You say, is that an evangelistic tool? Well, it wasn't in the step programs that I learned, but... I've heard of people getting saved after getting beat up, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm not getting involved in that one. But the Lord uses all different people, and the Lord 
will speak to you the way you understand, and he'll teach you the way you understand. So for me, he'll use illustrations, sometimes on construction, building, different things like that, or different things that I'm interested in, or that I like, or that I know, sports, whatever it is. And the Holy Spirit will do the same thing for you, depending on what you're interested in. And depending on how you think, where you're geared, kind of what you're geared towards, because everybody's geared a certain way. Um, and so in, the, in these scriptures, we also found out that Philippians is the only book that Paul wrote where he didn't, he didn't address the fact that he was an apostle, because he was writing to military people. He, they understood rank and authority. They didn't have to be told or reminded of his position because they knew it. They were submissive to him. Isn't that interesting? And his call and what God had called him to do. I find these things very interesting because it brings context. And it's not just about being educated, guys. It's about knowing things that the Holy Spirit was using at the time and then allowing the Holy Spirit to teach you. This isn't about being just intellectually smart. This is about transformation of your mind by the power of the resurrection. I, I've talked with people recently, and the Lord's opened up some doors, and I'm, uh, we'll see what happens with them. But anyway, because I am not a, I don't have a PhD. I don't have a master's degree. I have the Holy Spirit, and he's the master. Because I've talked with people who are Christians who are super brainy. I mean, they know words that, it's like I have to look it up after I have a conversation with him. And what does that mean? Where did that come from? Is that a word? You know? And I go away from it and I look it up and I'm like, oh, it just means that. So, yeah, man, I'll take dumb down any day. Because I can still get the job done with knowing the simple word. Now, I know God calls different people to different areas. I know he, he reaches out to these other areas. But some of these people are so smart, they disagree with the scripture. And that's when you quit being smart. That's when I quit being smart. If you're a theologian and you know God so well and you call things that are clearly spelled out in Scripture a political issue, then you've lost my attention. Or we're going to discuss it. And at that point, it really doesn't matter to me your level of education because the Holy Spirit's not scared of your degree. Right? God doesn't look down and go, oh my gosh, look how smart I made that person. How will I ever outsmart them? The scripture is clear. I know, don't you love the way these thoughts come? It's just like, whoo, that makes perfect sense. It's humbling. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the scripture says that he uses the foolish things. The scripture says his foolishness is wiser than men's wisdom. The max level of brainy the humanity has, God goes, duh. I can beat that with a third grade. <laughs> he just simple, he can, he can unravel us like that. He can unravel PhD degrees like that. It doesn't bother him a bit. In all this stuff that's going on in our nation, the different things that are taking place, don't be discouraged by what you hear that the government is or isn't going to do. Can you imagine the news media for, and imagine, now go back in time, 
and imagine in your mind that uh, Pharaoh has CNN. And this is for illustration purposes only. I'm not implying anything, but I am. Okay, so, <laughs> and, and, uh, and the, the Jews in that day and Moses have, we'll just say Fox News, okay? <laughs> just because, you know, even though I know Fox News sometimes. Anyway, okay, so, can you imagine the news that would be going on during that time? How uh, CNN over here, or we'll call it ENN, Egyptian News Network, <laughs> is twisting all the plagues and making it look like those evil Jews. And then on the other side, you'd have, I guess, the Jewish News Network, JNN, <laughs> would be can you believe they're lying over here about this? This is the truth, the God's honest truth. Moses is the man. He's heard from the Lord. We're getting out of here. And yet all these things on the Egyptian side are, you see these little movements, you know, like, oh, you can go. Oh, no, you can't go. Oh, you can go. Oh, it looks like something's going to happen, but it's not going to happen. Let me help you with something. God took out Pharaoh. He can take out anybody. Not that he's looking to. I actually believe those plagues were designed to help Pharaoh repent because I know the nature of my dad. I believe that. I believe it's in there. See, a lot of times we look at it, we go, oh yeah, the wrath of God got him. You know? But that's not, God's not in heaven going, I desire to kill everybody. He's in heaven saying, I desire and, and showed that I want to redeem everybody. So we, we got to be careful to keep the perspective of heaven. Because it doesn't matter... If the, the, the uh, uh, current situation and the government doesn't come down with the, with the proper assessment and all the litigation and the law and the uh, judgments that we think should have taken place, God is still on the throne. And it ain't over until he's done. And so we need to keep that in perspective. And that's what teaching and the word of God and the Lord does for us. It keeps things in perspective. I can go back to this foundation and go, nope, Lord, you said this. Well, Lord, you know, people say, well, it doesn't look like the authorities that he put in place are being a judgment to evil. It looks like they're being a judgment to good. Well, we don't, we don't accuse God. He's doing his part. We pray, and God is moving. And the authorities, authorities that are in place that he established will be a judgment to evil and not to good. Before it's all said and done, you say, how can you say that? Because that's what the scripture says. Well, do you, did you have a vision? No. Just this one. I, now, I know people have, and I'm, I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me a bit. As long as I can judge it against the word and it's true, we're good. And so, I, it's not that, it's just that I know the integrity of my dad. And he hasn't let me down yet. And you say, well, we're suffering. We'll make it through that too. And we must, as the people of God, use our faith. Because faith 
is what gives the Lord access to our situations. Now, our goal is their salvation. Every one of them. I don't care who they are on either side. doesn't matter. Our goal is their salvation. But we'll leave the other half of that up to the Lord. Amen? Because how many know he's patient? People are like, I wish he wasn't that patient. Well, remember, he's patient like that with you and me, right? So we're good. We're safe. Amen? All right. So verse 12 says this. Paul says this. He said, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And we looked at this last week, but I want to look at it again. Paul desires that the church at Philippi understand his imprisonment from God's perspective. So you see that. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that these things have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Paul, bringing this understanding, deals with personal opinions and thoughts of the enemy that may have been harassing the church at Philippi. We know from Scripture that Paul, by the Holy Spirit, is a thought attacker if the thoughts get out of line with Christ. We know that because of 2 Corinthians 10.5, which says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish, vindicate, retaliate, or revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. In other words, Paul understands spiritual warfare. And so what he's doing in this verse is he's saying, guys, don't look at my imprisonment the way the world is. Don't look at my imprisonment the way that uh, scared Christians are. Don't look at my imprisonment the way that, you, that the enemy is trying to paint that picture in your mind. How many know when the leader of the church, that, the church that was planted in your area, when the leader of that gets put in prison, how many know the enemy comes to you and says, you're next, buddy? And what Paul is saying is don't look at this like the world looks at it. Don't allow fear to cloud your thinking about what's taking place. This is actually turning out for the furtherance of the gospel. And the the reality is, is that most people will never experience, most believers will never experience what a select few do in suffering for the Lord. That's just the reality. You see, can you prove that? I can prove it from from the New Testament until now. Even though persecution is taking place around the world, we understand that, the majority of people will not experience what Paul experienced. They won't. Even the Christians in Paul's day didn't experience the level that he experienced. Why? Because he had a particular call to suffer with Christ at a level that they didn't. People say, I don't like that word suffer. Well, we'll get to the end of the chapter and you'll see that you're called to suffer with him. Well, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about my prosperity. It is a part of your prosperity. (laughs) And that just wrecks people's heads, you know what I mean? Because all they think of prosperity, they think of money. That's such a limited view. That's such a limited view. So we see here that Paul is attacking a thought in their head. Paul's expressed desire in prison was that the saints in Philippi would learn something which would benefit their lives. Boy, that's the heart of a leader, a true leader. He's not thinking about his circumstance, he's thinking about them. And he's the one in prison. This is the wild thing about this whole book to me. He's the one in trouble, and he's spending time praying for somebody who's not in the position that he's in. You know what that is? That's a disciple. 
That's somebody who's grown up in the Lord to the point, just like Jesus, he didn't love his own life even unto the death. And people say, well, what's the, mat- what's the mark of maturity? What's the level of maturity? It is that point to where you are so selfless, you don't even think about yourself. You've abandoned your salvation and your total protection over to the Lord to the point that you're willing to give up yours so somebody else can get theirs. Or in this case, to give up, Paul is doing this specifically, giving up his life for the purpose of God's kingdom advancing in the believer's. That's a mark of maturity. A mark of maturity is a father or mother who give up their time, their energy, their desires to make sure they raise their kids the way that they're supposed to be raised. Why? Because a parent, a parent that's, that's living in true discipleship, in true wisdom from the Lord, understands that one day I'm not going to be here. Unless Christ returns. But... You don't, you're not just thinking about that. You're thinking, by the, and this, I, I literally think this way daily. By the time I'm out of here, can my kids survive without me? And do they know how to believe God? Why? It's my goal. Why? I'm mandated to do it. Not only that, I'm anointed to. Now, they don't think so sometimes. <laughs> but I didn't ask them what they thought. <laughs> about that you know it's where you want to eat that's one thing but you'll get five different answers so there's no point in that either I just make the decision and we go there <laughs> in other words what a leader understands I'm not thinking about me I'm thinking about you a true spiritual person isn't just thinking about themselves all the time they're thinking about what's taking place Try praying for 30 minutes for someone else. Oh, I hit a nerve on that one. Sit down and pray for your enemy for 30 minutes. All right, I'll go another level. Yeah. (laughs) Dale's like, stop, stop, roll it back. Sit down and pray for your supposed political enemy for 30 minutes. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I was saying. (laughs) Why? Well, I'll just tell you this. You are anointed to do it. And you are graced to do it. I'm not saying you have to agree with them. I'm not talking about this worldly, unbiblical love. I'm talking about you, and you genuinely pray. Go, Lord, I just separate all the thoughts I have. I separate all that stuff out, Lord, and I just pray right now for their salvation. I pray for their family. I pray for their dog. I mean, you know what I mean? In other words, just go at it. You can hate the lie, but you cannot hate the person. So Paul has these circumstances and his expressed desire was that the saints in Philippi would learn something which would benefit their lives. Circumstances in life give us opportunity to use our faith in God which develops our maturity in Christ through the fight of faith. Faith used during trials causes our confidence to be built up and our anticipation of future victories to become greater. 
The Philippians are concerned about Paul's well-being, and Paul is concerned about their knowledge of the plan of God for their own lives. So we see, and let's, let's go down now to, um, uh, well, we'll go to the second part here, where it says that the things that which have happened to me have, have fallen out or turned out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So here's, he says, here's what I want you to think. I want you to think in terms of the fact that the gospel is being advanced. And we talked about this word furtherance and what it means, and it means to cut through the brush, to pave the way for advancing the advancing army behind them. The Philippians would understand this term because it was a, obviously a Roman military city. Now that he is coming to the end of his prison sentence, Paul is in Philippians, we know this, he sees that these things have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel of the Lord. Paul had been cutting through brush while in prison to pave the way for the saints in Philippi and the rest of the body of Christ. The gospel has progressed even though Paul is in chains. This is a crucial truth for disciples of the Lord to understand and maintain. How we walk through this life not only affects us personally, but also has an impact on those around us and their faith. There must be a contingency of believers who are willing to go out ahead into places of suffering for the purpose of the Great Commission because of the the effect it has on those who will follow. So if you're only thinking about your generation, the generation behind you may maybe lose out on things that we land we were supposed to possess. Do you see that? Now don't just think physical land. Think about spiritual freedom for your kids. Right? How you manage money will show them how to manage money. And if you do it, then the next generation will go, oh, they can, see, they can either learn this way, I don't want to do that, or they can go, yeah, I like the way they did that. Let's add to it. And so these things affect our lives. They affect those past us. We have a responsibility to live the impossible life in Christ because it is possible. Oh, you want me to say that again? We have a responsibility to live the impossible life in Christ because it is possible, and it demonstrates faith to others. You are a light and you are salt everywhere you go. Amen? Paul kept an attitude of inner joy while suffering with the Lord, and it made an impact on those around him. How could Paul keep joy and happiness? He could keep joy and happiness because, he, because joy was in him. Paul is living by grace through faith. Paul is advancing the kingdom around him and growing up into the fullness of the stature of Christ within while being in prison. Watch this. Just as Paul and Silas were used in the conversion of their, of their Philippian jailer and his household. How many remember Paul and Silas? And they, they were in prison and they converted the Philippian jailer. So here, grace triumphed over unfavorable circumstances. The prison cell in Rome became a gospel chapel where, sail, where souls were born of God. And stern soldiers became captive servants of one greater than Caesar. In other words, I'm in prison, it's terrible. Or, I'm in prison, Lord, how are we going to work? Right? It's all, and people say, it's, it's, you're just a positive thinker. No, I'm a transformed thinker. Any, any old devil can be positive. I'm coming at it from 
the spirit of life in Christ Jesus and thinking the way the Lord thinks. If God can, can take out Pharaoh and split the Red Sea, then he can take care of me where I'm at and move forward. Guys, think about this. Paul advanced the gospel in the middle of terrible situations. People are getting saved. People are, the church is growing. Do you know we're doing that right now? There are churches that have gone under. Do you know we've gone up financially? How is that possible? Because we're coming out perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Because that's what he said. The attendance has gone up. How? When the restrictions have come down. You know, from the higher powers. How? Because in the midst of it, it turns out for the furtherance of the gospel. <laughs> and on Sunday, we're going to share something. Oh, it's going to, it's powerful. Anyway, verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Evident means to be revealed. We talked about that last week. I want to skip down and I want to look at this word chains. And I want to focus on this before we go into the next verse. But chains, the word chains is, and it means in the Greek, it means a ligament of the body or a shackle of the prisoner. The idea here for chains, and notice he says my chains are in what? They're in Christ. You know, most in Christ scriptures don't include chains. How many have noticed that? I read that and the, and the Lord said, that's an in Christ scripture. And I went, uh-uh, I don't want that one. <laughs> Lord, I don't want to talk about that one. He said, well, I, I, you know, I hung on the cross for you. Ugh. And he's not manipulating me. He's just telling me the truth. So am I willing to be in chains for him? Now, we'll watch, watch what the outcome of this thing is. It's, it's powerful. But he says this. The idea is to be attached to something or someone for the sake of Christ. To be attached to something or someone for the sake of Christ. This is what a chain is. What is a ligament? A ligament does what? It holds things together, right? If you didn't have any ligaments, you would be Gumby. <laughs> yeah, Stretch Armstrong. <laughs> uh. So you're attached to something. Not only was Paul chained to a Roman guard at all times, but a Roman guard was chained to Paul. The greater influence was not from the guard to Paul, but from Paul to the guard. Question, who is having a greater influence in the situations you are chained to? I get them out of my life. <laughs> you might be chained. It's a bondage, Lord. <laughs> it's an opportunity. Are you influencing your situations and relationships with Christ in you? Or are your situations and relationships influencing you? We need to apply this truth to all areas of our lives. Not just the areas where we are chained to unbelievers, but also where we are chained to believers. I just don't like them. Why? And have you prayed about it? Well, this is really rubbing me, Lord. And he's like, I know. I put him there for that purpose. 
Come on, how many of you have ever had this? You know, most of the time we just want to cast the devil out. And the person with them. <laughs> they might be there so you can help them get free. But you're too busy or I'm too busy thinking about myself and how I feel that I'm not recognizing that the chain is in Christ. It's tough, isn't it? Paul was chained to the world. He was chained to a Roman guard, which could be a picture of the world, right? But Paul, uh, Silas, if you go back to our other, where, where Silas was with Paul and they went to the Philippian jail, remember that? Silas was thrown into prison for being attached to Paul. How's that for your first missionary journey? What are you doing here, Silas? Well, uh, just sitting around. The Lord told me to wait. The Lord told you to wait, huh? Yeah. What are you going to do? Whatever he tells me to do. Paul said, well, I just lost some traveling companions. You know why? He got in a fight with Mark and Barnabas. And it, doesn't, it wasn't a soft one. The scripture says they had a sharp disagreement. That means they came almost to blows. These are the preachers. Come on. I understand Paul. But Barnabas, the son of encouragement? Encouragement went out the door. I'll tell you what. He's like, let's do it, Paul. I'm tired of you. I'm done encouraging you. <laughs> and they separated. And here's Silas waiting in, in wait because the Lord told him to stay. And he connects with Paul. And what happens? They get their rear ends kicked for preaching the gospel and getting somebody set free. And they get whipped and beat and put in prison. And Silas is like, Lord. And the Lord says, chains in Christ, Silas. <laughs> How many have ever been beat for being with somebody? You have, maybe not like that, but you have. And then we go, we, we go back to our prayer closet and go, Lord, I think I missed your will. <laughs> Please redirect me. No. We're tied to something. Well, it hurts. Does it hurt because of your flesh? Or because the Lord is actually dealing in the situation and he wants you to leave? Because you need to ask yourself that question. And you need to wait on his answer. And don't do this. Don't go to prayer and presuppose that you hear what you want to hear. Empty everything out and go, it's you, Lord. Go ahead. Wide open. You may have to pray for a while on that one. Especially if you're tied into it emotionally quite deep. Because you're going to have to get all that emotion out to get down into the Holy Spirit. Amen? The fact that Paul was a believer and a minister of the Lord Jesus was now well known to the prison guard unit and to the citizens of Rome. Although Paul was small in stature compared to the Roman soldiers he was chained to, he was never intimidated. He declared spiritual war against the God of the Roman Empire and one by one began to win the guards to the Lord Jesus. During Paul's two years in jail, many guards had been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and had committed their families also to the Lord. This had spilled over from their families to the general population of Rome. How many know this is furtherance of the gospel? This is cutting through the brush. What's the best way to defeat the enemy of Rome or the enemy of the Antichrist spirit working in Rome? It's to get the Romans' hearts changed to Holy Spirit instead of Antichrist spirit. 
And then there can be a groundswell of resurrection coming out and moving forth through the area of what? The path that's been carved by who? The guy who was willing to suffer for Jesus. Do you see that? Man, I read this stuff sometimes and I just almost fall out of my chair. It's like, Lord, you're smart. (laughs) You don't do that? Maybe it's just me. This had spilled over to their families and to the general population of Rome, and Paul was now famous. Daily members of our own congregations are bound to people on the job, in the schools, and never mention Jesus to them. Paul was a great example of making the best out of every situation and turning every opportunity into a chance to witness. In other words, what was Paul's main focus? Relationship with the Lord, not circumstances. If my main focus is circumstances, then I lose my ability to function in faith when I'm presented with an opportunity, even though it may look like opposition. In other words, fear locks me up if I'm focused on my circumstances instead of my Savior. Right? Does that make sense? So, in other words, if I end up getting arrested for preaching, and I get brought before the judge... And the Lord says to me, I want you to preach the gospel to the judge, but all I can think about is I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail, I'm going to jail. Because I'm afraid, instead of in faith, then the words won't come like they're supposed to. It's not that they're not there, it's that I can't connect because I'm thinking about the wrong thing. And Paul didn't do that. He went, oh, we're in prison, let's pray in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, but the, the guard is chained to you, Paul. I don't care. Let's preach the gospel. Pen and paper. I'm getting revelation from heaven. In prison. And we have to have the right instrumental music to hear from God. Just the right songs at just the right moment. And yet Jesus could walk through a crowd that was smashing against him and go, who touched me? And his disciples are so smart spiritually. They're like, what do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Jesus is, (laughs) I'm sure the disciples have this conversation. You think Jesus is okay? (laughs) We like to think it wasn't that way, but uh, newsflash, the disciples were just like us. The 12 were just like us. They were. They were no different. They had the same thoughts, same feelings. Paul said, and Jesus said, no, somebody touched me. Come on, he's having revelation of in him realities, Christ in Christ realities, in the middle of Roman prison. Honestly, I don't know if I could do that at this point. I need to grow up. Big time. Because I want to be able to be walking and go, whoa, somebody needs something. And not think about, you know, you can only walk up this grocery island and down this one. How many know the Holy Spirit will lead you to walk in the wrong direction in an aisle? Not just to prove a point either. Okay, we have to have the right motivation here. Otherwise, the anointing is going to fizzle. So Paul goes on to say, and I guess I still am a two-scripture person. All right, so, and most of the, I didn't even start in the first 12 verses. (laughs) That's all right. Did you get anything so far? 
Good. I'll preach on Philippians till Jesus comes if we need to. All right? <laughs> we got time, right? And most of the brethren in the Lord, now watch this. I love this. Come on, this is the mantra for us as Christians. This next verse, it's, it's so powerful. Think of it in terms of the verses we just read. Paul did what? He, he said, this has turned out for the what? The furtherance of the gospel. He said, I'm called to suffer for Christ. Don't think about my situation in terms of just, oh, poor Paul's in prison and he probably got beat and you know how mean the Romans are. And oh, Don't think about any of that. I am actually, he says to them, I am actually advancing the kingdom of God even though the devil attacked me, he's, he's, he's put me in prison, he's tried to silence me, he's tried to put fear on the church, but guys, what's actually taking place is we are winning. We are winning. And he says, how can you think that way? But then he goes into verse 14, he says this, and most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my what? Is that boldness in Christ? Is that, the, is that the prayer of boldness? I mean, did the Holy Spirit come down on these people and all of a sudden they're like, oh, this is it? No, they became confident because he was arrested. That messes with my religious head. They became confident because Paul was willing to be a leader in faith and go out to where a place where he would suffer a little bit for Jesus. You can't say a little bit, Sean. Paul said it was nothing compared to what was to come. Glory-wise. These sufferings, these trials, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed. See, it takes Holy Spirit teaching and Word of God to get the right thinking. Well, I'm going through all these heavy things. Are they, are they affecting you or are you affecting them? Well, I don't like my job. I want a different job. Are you affecting the job or is the job affecting you? Because you have an anointing to affect the job. Your greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have the strength in Christ to do it. It's just a matter of getting the perspective right. To the point where Paul's saying, look, guys... In the midst of all of this, other preachers have become bold. What does that mean? They've become confident. They've become persuaded. When the leaders in the body of Christ suffer for the cause of Christ, it stirs boldness in the rest of the body to proclaim Christ more and more. God is looking for leaders who are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. It emboldens the rest of the body. I feel like this is an important truth for where we are right now in America. We need obedient leaders in every facet of life. Those who are willing to cut against the popular or widely accepted thought pattern. To follow what? I love what Amy Coney Barrett said in, her, in, her, one, of, in her, one of her hearings, the questions. Ted Cruz asked her the question about the freedom of speech. What's the point of the freedom of speech? Not, not being silenced. Not be, she said, well, you don't need it unless what you're saying isn't popular. And I went, ooh, Holy Ghost fire. That just makes the conformist spirit so mad. And yet the church is the ones, we're the ones called to live in a place where we'll go, yeah, we'll go out ahead. But it may mean a jail cell, Sean. Okay. I've been wanting to see what Peter or Paul and Silas saw when all the doors <laughs> flew open. Right? 
Ooh, I feel faith in the room. <laughs> I can feel God just taking over this thought process. Why? Because we can live this daily because of who lives in us. I find this interesting. When the enemy put Paul in prison, his intention was to stop the spread of the gospel and to intimidate others from preaching. But the opposite took place. It actually put Paul in a position to turn the captors into converts and stir fearful preachers into bold ministers of the truth. I love it. It's like the devil goes, I'm going to do this. And God's like, okay, it'll spread the fire. You're pouring gas on it. Why? And it only happens when faith people respond in faith. If the church gets afraid, the enemy will win. But if the church is fearless, the enemy will lose. Because he's already lost. Other ministers are looking at Paul and receiving confidence to preach the word. When Paul was first put in prison, they were concerned for their, their own safety and were afraid to preach. They did not want to be known as ministers of the gospel, but as Paul stays in prison year after year and remains bold to preach and write, their fear is changed to courage. Paul's boldness to witness to his guards causes many other ministers to rise up in boldness and preach the word without fear of what men and governments might do to them. Thus, Paul's prison term is used by the Lord to further the gospel by turning timid preachers into bold ones. You will always have those who will be intimidated to follow the crowd, and usually the majority will follow the crowd. Let's look at an example. I don't have time to go into this right now. I want to, but I can't. I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, usually the majority will follow the crowd. So let's look at an example of someone who ministered and stood with Paul when it was unpopular. How many know this? When this whole coronavirus thing came out, there was a preacher in Florida named Rodney Howard Brown who did not buckle, and he got arrested. How many saw that? I had, a, I had friends of mine, uh, some were totally for him, and I was excited about what he did because he's a well-known minister and he was setting a standard. And this person came up to me who's a, a minister, and I know them well, I'm still, I still know them, and uh, am friends with them, but they came up to me and they said, you, you better hope he wins because our lawyers say he has no chance. And he was talking with a, about a particular denomination and their lawyers. And that denomination said they would not back any pastor in their denomination if they did what Rodney Howard Brown did. And I said, but what if he does win? It irritated me. I'll be honest. I'm like, you're kidding me. One of our own is taking a stand, and you're mad. They're taking a stand for what's right here, and you're mad. You're, you're irritated. You're mad. They're, they're trying to strip away rights of the church, and you're mad about it. And you're mad because this person's standing up to them. So in the process of time, to this person's credit, of course, they dropped all the charges, and basically Rodney's doing what he wants now, <laughs> okay, as far as that's concerned. But that person did say to me, you were right. I wasn't right. God was right. And now what has happened? A precedent has been set. Boom. Why? Somebody didn't respond in fear. Watch this. First Timothy 1, or 2 Timothy 1.16, the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. How many of you know who Onesiphorus is? For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. He was not ashamed? Are you ashamed of those who stand for truth? Are you afraid of those who stand for truth? Of their chain? Or will you be willing to be chained to the ones that are mocked, uh, 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 
that are treated and lied about and disgraced in front of all the population because they stood for truth? Are you willing to spend time and effort to find them and associate with them and not be ashamed of the fact that they stood up for the truth? Because the church, if a leader stands up, how many knows it's helpful? How many know it's helpful if the rest of the church stands up too? Fearlessness is not common. Faith is not as common as you think. It's easy to say. But when your back's against the wall, then what? Oh, John, I don't know if I like the way where this is going. Why? You serve the one that can get you all the way out. And if we had like four hours, I could get through the next four verses. And show you that Paul was confident of the fact, and you, can go, you guys can go ahead and read it over and over. Paul was confident of the fact that he was coming out of this. And how was he coming out? The same way we are. Through prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In other words, by resurrection power. Amen? Isn't that good? Man, I... I can just see David out in front of Goliath. You know, David had swagger. He had swag. They were all, everybody thought, well, you're just arrogant little boy. He's out there going, come on, big boy, let's do this. I'm going to put this stone in your forehead. But it wasn't arrogance. It was confidence. Why was it confidence? He knew the covenant. That's all you need to do is know the covenant. Just know the covenant. He's in you. He lives in you. Amen? There is no situation that you're chained to that you can't win in. I want the situation to go away. You will be thankful by the time you're through it that it didn't go away if you walk by faith. Because that's how you grow spiritually. Amen? Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.